hope we get everybody to come this way. <coughs> so it's good to see everyone. Uh, I trust you all survived three days of rain. It doesn't happen around here very often, but uh, produced a foggy morning for us this morning. By the time we finish, hopefully the sun will be out and it'll be a beautiful fall afternoon. <coughs> this is a day that we look forward to all year long when we have guest speakers, not that our ordinary speakers aren't very good. Uh, we have excellent classes. I've got a, I mean, there's an excellent class teacher where I go to class. Uh, but we're glad to have everyone here this morning, and as everybody gathers in, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have a good time of discussion. Our speaker in our class this morning is Kevin Linderman. Kevin is here with his daughter, Mariah, who is sitting right there. They're part of uh, a family that has spent 12 years in Tanzania, uh, working in church planning efforts and efforts of encouraging the church in Tanzania. And Kevin, last year, moved back to Arkansas to accept the position as executive director of International Healthcare Foundation. Uh, that work is something that's dear to many of us here and, and familiar with almost everyone. Uh, African Christian Hospitals, now International Healthcare Foundation, is a group of uh, Christian brothers and sisters who encourage medical missions in many parts of the world and encourage uh, missions that exist primarily in Africa uh, in their effort of, of being a service to the church and wherever they are, exist. Uh, that umbrella includes Nigerian Christian Hospital, uh, which many of you all have visited, and we uh, appreciate Kevin taking that responsibility. I was a little reluctant uh, to even consider his application uh, when, when he made the application to the board because you know, it's, it's a dangerous thing to take people off of a mission field. Uh, but Kevin uh, has, and his family have served very well in Tanzania, and he has a vision for International Healthcare Foundation that will support missions in many parts of the world for, for many years to come. And he's introducing himself to the American side of that effort, the uh, Nigerian and the African side he's already very familiar with, having lived in Africa for so long. We made a visit to Nigeria a year ago in April, and he was a natural with all the evangelists there, and he's visited many of the uh, African work spots for International Healthcare Foundation and uh, has already earned a good uh, rapport with all of those work efforts. So we're, we're have, glad to have Kevin with us this morning, and he's going to give us a message uh, that affects missions uh, later in our worship period. Bob Bentley will be with us and Bob will be speaking. Bob and Kevin are longtime acquaintances. Uh, so let's uh, have a word of prayer and then we'll uh, ask Kevin to come and make our class presentation for us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're thankful for the morning. Uh, we're thankful for the morning of hope that exists in Christ Jesus. We're thankful for your church your people around the world who are busy living their lives in the communities in which they live, 
but focused on sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray your blessings on the church and its efforts uh, wherever it exists in the world today. We pray, Father, that as the church assembles today, it will appropriately honor your son, remember his sacrifice, which makes all of this possible for us. We're thankful for our emphasis on missions in the past few weeks and for our time today. And we're thankful to the elders for allotting to us time in which we can focus directly on the task of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, wherever that may be. Uh, we pray your blessings on our speakers today and on their travel. Uh, we pray your blessings on the congregation as it continues to gather this morning. It's all things we give you thanks through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Morning. Uh, first of all, I have to say I'm incredibly impressed that um, G.R. Canfield went that entire introduction and got my name right every single time. <laughs> I, I think that's a, that's a first. I really, really, really impressed. Uh, secondly, it's, it's great to be here. I was able to visit uh, once here in the spring, and I think probably Bob would feel the same way. This is uh, preaching to the choir, so to speak, to come here to talk about missions. This church, this body is uh, just in the DNA of this church. Uh, missions is uh, at the heart of this church. And so to come here and speak about missions is, uh, is a great honor. And there are many people in this room that uh, could teach about this better uh, than I can um, with even longer experience involved in global missions than, than myself. So thank you for welcoming me here to, to share. And I hope that the words that, that I share this morning would just be of encouragement for you all as you come up on your, your mission Sunday. I hope that will spur you on towards uh, meeting your goal or exceeding your goal uh, in the mission's contribution um, this coming up tomorrow. So uh, today I just wanted to share in the, this class time. Um, am I getting both microphones here or just this one? A little bit of an echo. Um, wanted to share about gratitude and mission. Uh, gratitude and mission. Uh, the idea came up when uh, Jerry emailed me this week with some ideas about what he thought I might share about. Uh, Jerry being chairman of my board at International Healthcare Foundation, I typically follow his advice. Uh, so I thought I, would, <laughs> thought I would go for that uh, theme this morning. So I wanted to revisit a little bit of history that uh, is maybe painful history or a time of, of great uh, uh, stress that many people in this room experience. And I'm going to take us back in time about 10 years, uh, August 2nd, 2009. Uh, this is a picture of Dr. Uh, Bob Whitaker, uh, who was working at Nigerian Christian Hospital together with his wife, Annette. Uh, their son, Ozioma, was with them as well. Uh, and as many of you remember, um, the security situation in Nigeria uh, had been degrading uh, around this time. There was a lot of violent crime, uh, and there was uh, beginning to be a real um, increase in kidnapping, uh, kidnapping for, uh, for ransom, essentially. So this morning, uh, if uh, the story that I've read and understood through different publications like the Christian Chronicle, if it's uh, getting the story accurately, uh, he was Sunday morning uh, at home preparing for church, uh, reading 
a magazine and heard a couple gunshots outside. Uh, and then soon, a group of youth stormed into uh, the house that they were living in on the compound of Nigerian Christian Hospital, uh, and they took uh, him hostage. Uh, they left behind the family, took him, and in the course of this hijacking uh, or hostage-taking attempt, uh, I've, I've heard it described as these were kind of like the Keystone Cops. Uh, these young guys were actually, in, in the words of Dr. Whitaker himself, were, were armed with incredible weapons, but without an ounce of wisdom amongst them. Uh, they, they took him hostage. They accidentally discharged one of the weapons, which passed through the gas tank of the vehicle, and then uh, lodged, the bullet lodged itself in Dr. Whitaker's left arm. Uh, he was held for about 48 hours in the forest. I don't know if they maybe intended to take him farther away, uh, but were unable to since the bullet, having passed through the gas tank, emptied most of the fuel of the car. Uh, the hospital worked hard. Uh, I, I imagine uh, those couple days you didn't get a whole lot of sleep here, um, that everyone was working together uh, to secure his release. I think perhaps the calmest person involved in the entire situation, I believe, was Dr. Whitaker, uh, who took the 48 hours worth of opportunity to be able to uh, teach uh, these young um, <laughs> hostage takers, uh, teach them how to care for a gunshot wound, um, teach them how to take do basic first aid. And he realized that uh, he was encouraged that he could still feel his pulse uh, in his left hand. He thought that he hopefully would be able to save his arm, but he also knew that um, that if anything else were to happen, if he weren't to be rescued, that uh, still this was uh, a life that he lived, he was thankful. Uh, he was thankful because he grew up without the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while in med medical school, um, he was invited to a gospel meeting. Uh, he came, studied, uh, found truth uh, at that point, and became a Christian and dedicated his life to serving the Lord. God put him together with Annette, who was on a similar journey as him, uh, and put them together to serve the Lord together. Uh, of course, uh, he was uh, flown back to the States, uh, to Vanderbilt. Uh, some people that he had had connections with over the years uh, were able to help him. Dr. Camazine was at the hospital at the time and did the primary care of his wounds uh, there until he was able to be transported back to the States. Got to the States, uh, and Dr. Netterville, uh, who has a long history with our organization and in Nigeria as well, was able to arrange uh, for him to be taken care of at uh, Vanderbilt Medical Center, uh, where they did a number of different treatments to be able to mostly uh, re help him regain use of his left arm. Uh, of course, as a, as a doctor, as an OBGYN, as a surgeon, um, you know, the, the use of your, your arms or hands are, are very important. Uh, he was able to regain functionality in his arm uh, and as you all know, since you continue to be a partner of him and his ministry, uh, he, he's not given up on Africa. Um, he still is serving now in Eswatini to this day. So there's so many lessons that can be told. There's so many encouragements out of this story and other stories from uh, Dr. Bob Whitaker's life and his wife, Annette. I wanted to focus on a slightly different aspect of this story, uh, the story that we don't often uh, think about, uh, the, the question of what happened back in Nigeria during this time. 
uh, when, uh, when Dr. Whitaker was evacuated and when there was a couple other nurses that were there from the states working, they were evacuated. When they realized it wasn't going to be a safe place in this time period, how did this hospital survive? Uh, how did this hospital and also our ministry, how did it survive during this time? Uh, so that's the uh, thing I'm going to look at here in a moment, but uh, I'm going to take a step back and look at this theme of gratitude. Look at the theme of gratitude in Scripture, and eventually we'll come back around to the story of NCH during this time. So I'm going to look at a Bible story of gratitude. It's one of my favorite stories. I've actually shared it with some of you all here uh, when I was here in March in a Bible class, um, but it's, I was looking at it from, from a, to make a different point, but actually the main point of this story is gratitude, and it's from Luke chapter 17. This is the story when Jesus encounters the ten lepers. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is just one of many stories in which Jesus takes the unlikely person and makes them the role model in the story, where he highlights, um, you know, wow, this tax collector is the one you should emulate. Uh, this sinner is the one who actually knows the value of forgiveness of sins. Um, this Samaritan is the one who actually shows how to love your neighbor. And in this case, it was this Samaritan amongst the ten lepers who comes back and praises God in loud voice uh, for what God had done. We don't know about the other nine. We do know that this one person comes back. And I think Jesus is overjoyed to receive this person back who comes back giving glory to God for the blessing um, that he had received. And I believe that there is something going on here in this story that when Jesus makes the statement, you know, your faith has made you well, uh, of course you could say that somehow that is a true statement for all ten. Uh, they had some degree of faith. Um, they followed Jesus' basic instructions to go head towards the priest, and they all received a physical healing on the way. I think there's something deeper that's going on uh, when he says, your faith has made you well, meaning uh, this person has actually found true health, true well-being, uh, because this person has recognized that God is worthy of all of our praise. God is worthy of all of our gratitude. God is worthy of our thanksgiving and our worship. And so this one person, I think, is someone that we can emulate uh, this person who was overflowing with thanksgiving, overflowing with gratitude, and that gratitude compelled 
compelled the Samaritan to return to God the worship for uh, the worship that God is due for being who he is and for being the God who loves us and blesses us and takes care of us. And so I want to posit that gratitude is the reason why, it's the motivation for us to engage in mission. Why? Because there is a world, billions of people, who have not yet returned praise to God, the praise for, uh, that, that God is due for being God. But secondly, gratitude itself is uh, the motivation for us, it's the personal motivation for us to engage in mission because we are so thankful for what God has done. We're so thankful for God's blessings. We are aware and cognizant of all that God is doing in the world around us and in our own lives as well. When I share the story of, of Dr. Whitaker and his wife Annette, they seem very aware they seem very aware of God's blessing for them because they weren't from maybe a church background. Uh, it's a blessing to grow up in church. It's a blessing to grow up with teachings of the Lord from the time when you're a baby all the way up. I'm, I'm thankful that I'm getting to raise my daughter in places like this where there's people pouring uh, wisdom and truth into her life every time that she goes uh, to a church building. But uh, but there's also a great value that comes uh, in the life of our community when somebody comes in from the outside and, and realizes and can accept the goodness of God and can compare it to a part of their life in which they weren't aware of God's presence. They weren't so aware of God's goodness. And so for me, uh, personally, that's been kind of my journey to a life in mission. Sometimes people have asked me, you know, when did you decide to be a missionary? Uh, and for me, uh, I decided to be a missionary when, basically, when, when I became a Christian, when I, I became a follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, the short story, I could give a long story. I think John has heard the long story. Uh, John Priester and myself and my wife, we were all in this ministry internship in St. Louis. We all had to tell our, our long conversion story. And so I'm going to give a real short version of this, because these could be real long if you, if you get, go into all the details, but I didn't grow up going, going to church. I was from, of all places, Northern California. I didn't want to, you know, admit that at first, you know, but I'm, I'm from Northern California, and my family was probably like the average family in Northern California. Um, we went to Mass on some holidays, but we didn't have a lot of religion in our family. Uh, my parents had a lot of problems, a lot of issues. They ended up uh, getting divorced when I was young, and uh, my mom went to work, and we needed a place to be in daycare in the times, both after school and also in the summer months. Uh, there was a classmate of mine in school. His mom uh, ran a daycare uh, center. Uh, Frazier Family Daycare was the name of the place. Uh, and what is noteworthy about this uh, story is that Eleanor Frazier was a follower of Christ. She was a Christian from the Redwood City Church of Christ. And for her, it wasn't just a job, uh, but it was a vocation. It was her ministry to run a daycare that took in kids like myself and my sister. Uh, and, you know, she, she uh, did a couple things that were unique. One is she worked every summer at the church camp. 
which basically gave the parents, uh, put the parents in a, in, a, in a bind, so to speak. So I'm going to church camp. You're welcome to send your kids along with me, or you're welcome to figure out something else to do with your kids. So uh, myself and pretty much everybody else who is in the daycare, we spent uh, a week every summer at church camp. Uh, and, and then later on, my, uh, my sister reconnected with Eleanor a little bit later on in life, and she welcomed my sister to be a part of the youth group, and, uh, and eventually I was able to be a part of the youth group. And there was a lot of difficulties, as, as many people go through difficulties in their high school years or teenage years. My sister and myself went through some pretty severe difficulties, uh, but the church there became our family. The church was loving and kind and generous and hospitable to us, uh, gracious towards us. Uh, and uh, the love of Christ was inescapable uh, amongst that group, amongst those people there. Uh, so for me, when, when I became a Christian, uh, it was obvious that I wanted to, in, in the words uh, of Jesus, when he comments on the story of the Good Samaritan, when he says, you know, go and do likewise, that's what I wanted to be able to do with my life. Now, we all can do that in every aspect. Obviously, Eleanor Frazier, who I'm referencing, she was doing that through her daycare. Uh, I was blessed also to be able to do that full-time as an overseas missionary, um, and it was just a blessing and opportunity to be able to pass on uh, or to say, in, in other words, to pay forward uh, the blessing that we had received from, from people that were loving and kind and gracious and shared truth with us, uh, that we have the opportunity to go into other parts of the world and do the same. Because we are very cognizant of the fact, we are very cognizant of the feeling, of the experience of being lost, of being in need of a Savior, and the difference that it makes having Christ brought into our lives. And so that is a compelling reason for me to go into missions. Now, my wife, she grew up <laughs> the way that my daughter's growing up, uh, in a church family with people from a young age teaching about missions. She had a similar desire to go and serve the Lord through missions. So, uh, so you can reach that end uh, through my path or from a different path also. But the point is, is that gratitude, the overflow of gratitude, compels us and propels us to serve in God's mission and to be a part. I, I want to tell a, a couple stories of, of how I see this uh, in our ministry. Because um, as you know, uh, as Jerry was mentioning, we're heavily involved in Africa, in Nigeria, in Ghana, and in Tanzania, uh, where... Bob and Michelle. Um, I'm, I hope you'll share some stories from Tanzania today. I'm going to focus on West Africa. I'll, I'll give you East Africa and, and anything else you want to share about. Um, what's happened in our ministry, and not just our ministry, I think that others here will be able to share from other places they've worked uh, in Nigeria and elsewhere, is that what we have brought, the message we have brought, has been received with great joy, and the people who have received this message are carrying it forward with incredible energy and zeal and passion, I think beyond what we can even communicate. And so there's no way to communicate it outside of telling just little anecdotes, and I wanted to share a couple anecdotes. Uh, first, this is a picture uh, I took actually 
uh, when I was with uh, Jerry in Nigeria last year. This is um, my predecessor, the former director, Tom Carr, with uh, Sister Eno. Sister Eno is the administrator at the Palmer Hospital. Uh, she started off as the assistant cashier. She is the daughter of a preacher. Uh, she started off as the assistant cashier in this hospital, and then she became the cashier, and then she became, years later, the uh, maybe the business manager. I forget her progression, but now she is the administrator uh, over this entire hospital. She's an amazing woman of faith, and she has incredible, impeccable integrity and passion and care. Uh, and I was uh, just sending some text messages this week to people just saying, hey, you know, I'm going to share about gratitude uh, and missions, gratitude and ministry. You know, what, is, what does gratitude mean to you? So I sent that question, and this is the text message I got. You can't see it. I'll, I'll read some of it. But within a few minutes, uh, Sister Eno sends me a text message loaded with biblical passages and verses on gratitude. I'm going to read what she wrote. Uh, I think it's just fantastic and great encouragement. Greetings in Jesus' dear name. <laughs> Sorry I'm seeing this message late. I hope this would be of help to you, and may God be your mouthpiece as you present your lesson to the church. Gratitude is the readiness to show appreciation and to return kindness. Ephesians 4.32 advises us to be kind to one another. Without gratitude to God, we cannot attain this quality, and most importantly, cannot be of service to others without having it in our mind that, it, that is a debt we owe unto God. Gratitude comes with happiness, which propels you to do even more in the face of all adversity. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are in the household of faith. This is an act that will help bring even more unbelievers to Christ. Gratitude for what God has done for you propels you in Christian service to others in the following ways. She says, understanding that God wants and expects us to be thankful. She lists a few verses. Don't take God's blessings for granted. She lists several more verses. Give thanks. Make known his deeds among the people. She lists a verse from 1 Chronicles. In any victory, show gratitude. To first, to show gratitude. She lists a couple verses from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And that I thank her so much. But wait, she wasn't done. Oh, I might also want to add that you can propel yourself in Christian service through songs of praise. Then she lists a couple psalms. I do want to read two of the scriptures that she shared. First uh, Thessalonians 5, uh, verse 16. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And in 1 Chronicles 16, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. It's interesting in these verses and in the other verses, the context of, of which she was sharing, there's a direct link that she's making 
that our thankfulness is connected to evangelism. <laughs> that our thankfulness, what we're sharing to God, what we're praising him for, uh, we're not keeping it to ourselves, but we're sharing that with others. I think that's probably true of every place I've been in Africa. I've not traveled as much elsewhere in the world, but in Africa, people, their thankfulness uh, flows over into evangelism uh, immediately. I have so many stories that I could share about people in in Mwanza and Sakumaland. It's, it's amazing, uh, stories that, that Bob and Michelle were part of and stories that I was able to see. People's thankfulness quickly overflows into evangelism, and it overflows into hard work. Um, there's, I, I believe you all are involved in works in Mbisi, the area of Mbisi in Nigeria. Uh, I know you all, as a church body, help uh, initiate the Jeremy Harper Memorial Clinic. Uh, just a few weeks ago, um, the uh, the clinic went out working Friday and Saturday, volunteering their time and their hours to be able to do free uh, services for the public, um, free eye services, free dental services. Uh, they treated about 300 people while I and many others were watching college football. Um, uh, maybe some of you all would rather be doing that than watching college football lately, but uh, they were volunteering their giving of themselves to serve in this way. Their gratitude is overflowing in evangelism and in hard work of service to others that brings glory to God. And finally, if we can go back around to our third location in Nigeria, uh, to Nigerian Christian Hospital. Going back to the question I posited, how did the hospital stay open? What was it that, that enabled us to keep the doors open uh, in the hospital? And... Um, well, I can't, I can't read that. It's too small. Uh, the, I was interviewing, oh, I can read it here better. I was interviewing Dr. Jamba, who is currently serving as our chief medical officer. Uh, as I was trying to raise some more support for our scholarship program that we do uh, in, in, to help support our works in Africa, he made the following comments. He said, even at the event of massive kidnapping in and around the NCH environment, I and other former scholarship recipients continue to work at the hospital. On assumption of the leadership position in NCH, I know that one of the reasons why I was sponsored was to sustain and develop IHCF Nigerian health facilities, especially NCH. What happened was in this turbulent time, uh, many people scattered. Uh, Nigerian Christian Hospital is in a great location, uh, but it's in a particularly vulnerable location. It is, uh, it's outside of a major city, uh, it's in a rural area. It was vulnerable uh, to unrest and robberies and kidnapping. Uh, and so many, many people fled, um, but it was people who had received scholarships um, to be trained to be Christian doctors, Christian nurses. They became kind of the skeletal staff that kept this hospital operating during this time period um, when I'm sure their gut reflexes would have been to take cover, to go someplace else. But they were so thankful because they had received scholarships that had helped them move from a life of poverty uh, into a life in which they could have employment, uh, employment with dignity, being a doctor or nurse, being able to serve in an environment that glorifies Christ. Um, they weren't going to let that go. 
and they were going to remember those who had sacrificially given for them uh, to be able to achieve the training that they had uh, achieved. Uh, they were going to remember the purpose behind the scholarships that they had received, and they were going to commit themselves to fulfilling that which they had been charged to do. They were thankful, and they were responding out of gratitude in sacrificial ways to serve others, and we wouldn't have that hospital. And you can say there is a lot of reasons, a lot of things that could have happened that could have caused that hospital to close. Um, but one of the things that kept that hospital open was the gratitude of those and the commitment of those who had received scholarships uh, to be able to be doctors and nurses at that facility. Um, I, I'm going to throw in some modern poetry here. Um, I thought maybe the college students would be around, so I'm going to throw in something I heard yesterday. Um, I know I won't forget all he's done. He's the strength in this race that I run. Every time I look up, I see God's faithfulness, and it shows just how much he is miraculous. I can't keep it to myself. I can't sit here and be still. Everybody I will tell till the whole world is healed. Let me read that again. I know I won't forget all he's done. He's the strength in this race that I run. Every time I look up, I see God's faithfulness, and it shows just how much he is miraculous. I can't keep it to myself. I can't sit here and be still. Everybody I will tell till the whole world is healed. When we're cognizant of, when we reflect upon God's goodness, then the natural outgrowth is gratitude and sharing that gratitude through witness and evangelism to others. Some ancient, <laughs> ancient writings, Acts 4, 19 through 20. Uh, this, of course, is when Peter and John are being accused in front of the Sanhedrin. And Peter and John reply, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, you remember the context of this, right? <laughs> um, they weren't afraid of people looking down upon them. They were afraid for their very lives. Yet they could not help to speak about that which they had seen and heard. And finally, the last scripture I want to, uh, to read is Colossians 2, verse 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish, admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think we can see the importance of thankfulness, of gratitude. It permeates this verse. I was with a friend, a friend of mine in Circe. Uh, his father was, uh, was dying of cancer. It came on rapidly. Um, and he spent some of his last days at Unity Hospital uh, in Searcy. And several evenings a week, uh, we would gather 
uh, different people would gather together in his room and we would sing songs together. And we would sing songs and then, uh, and then Johnny Jones, Mr. Jones would interject something that, and, and his grandchildren were part of that group and his son and other people. And he would share things. He would share things for which he was thankful. And then we would sing a couple more songs. It, it was beautiful and it was touching. Uh, and it, it was this verse brought to life. Um, we're called to be thankful. And, and I would say that uh, especially now, especially in our current culture, I think our thankfulness, our gratitude, um, it might be a little bit too far to say, but I'll say it. It's, it's an act of resistance against our culture that tells us we never have enough, that tells us we have nothing to be thankful for, that tells us it's all going to fall apart, that tells us our failures uh, are going to catch up to us. Our act of gratitude, our acts of thanksgiving, our sharing with others the goodness of God is the way in which we refuse to adopt the message that our culture is sending us 24-7. It allows us to turn our eyes away from our current circumstances, whatever they might be, and focus on our loving and gracious and powerful God. And as we do that, as we respond to God through gratitude, um, we're going to make the kind of impacts in this world, the kind of impacts that the apostles made, the kind of impacts that we're seeing in places in the world where the gospel is spreading and spreading rapidly. We're going to see those kind of impacts, and we're going to be filled with joy as God continues to use us and continues to use us in our mission. And I want to urge you all to be, even as you come into your offering uh, next week, I think next week is when, um, when you have your offering, that this is an act, it's a demonstration of your thankfulness. There's many other motivations for why to give of your resources, but I want to encourage you to go a little bit beyond what you're planning to give, uh, just as a way to show gratitude, uh, to give testimony uh, to our God who loves us, who has been at work in our lives, and is at work in our world. Thank you, and I've enjoyed getting to be here with you. <laughs> is this the right time to end? Great. <laughs> Thank you.